Pam Ochoa, I have a question. A question, I think, that is nice and lighthearted. You know, we can't always start with the heavy hitters. Sometimes we have to have a question that is not so intense. And my question for you is we have Christmas break coming up. What is going to be the first thing that you try to do on Christmas break? What do you what do you what are you planning on? The first thing when you're envisioning your time, what is your first action? My first action uh I probably better start my Christmas shopping. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm probably going to move in. It looks like I'm going to get my house just before Christmas. So I'm going to be moving everything back into my house. Or I looked at my floor the other day and I decided I might not need that yucky furniture. So I might be throwing some things out. Oh, man. So. But move it, moving into the house, that's like a, a Christmas present to yourself. It is a Christmas present to myself. I'm excited. I've, I've, been, I've been out of my home since, what, the, September? Yeah, so it's been a I, little while. Yeah, it was right when it was kind of at the beginning of the podcast, sort of. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, because you so anyway, it, it all flooded, and then you were like, "Well, <laughs> I, <laughs> I guess that's out. it." Yeah, well, it was unsafe. I mean, my my floors were warping, and it was unsafe to be there. Like I felt like it was going to fall through, so it was too unsafe for me to be there. So they moved all my furniture out. So I have anyway. It's kind of cool. So I went over there. They have a few more things to do. And he said that he'd have me in by Christmas. So would you say that you have been feeling stuck without a house? Yes. Well, I tell you what, uh, one of the things I'm probably going to do is uh, I'm already shopping for some recipes for things that I want to fix. It's just me fixing stuff just for me. I'm not because I'm by myself, so I don't have to worry about anybody else. So. I'm going to just fix stuff for that I want. For sure. So food is a big deal. Yeah. Well, you know what? We're making a, uh, right now in the kitchen, the wife, the mainly the wife, although I helped with the meat a little bit. We are making our, we're trying to make beef wellington right oh. now. We're trying to Fancy. unstuck ourselves, so to speak, from the typical holiday dinners and try to up our game a little bit into little something. So have you ever had a beef Wellington? I don't think I have. I've only heard about it, and it's usually in books. It so w- one of my good friends is a chef, and they had this like Friendsmas one year where they made them for everyone, like the an individualized one, and they were it was the best food I've ever put in my mouth. Um, and I, you know, I, I I'm not someone who is very picky. I pretty much eat anything, and it was so good. That we've wanted to recreate that. Um, so this is our first attempt. We have no idea how it's going to turn out. It's it's not incredibly complicated. It's just weird. Like, like it's a weird thing to make if you're not familiar with certain things. So that's what we're trying to do. But what we're going to try to do on this podcast is not talk all about food. But we are going to talk about how to unstuck the stuck Rider, whether it be great writers who get stuck, kids that seem to never write, and everything in between. This is a conversation that people have been having on my team a lot, so I figured it would be a timely thing to talk about. This is Crafted Draft with Pam Cho and Jacob Chastain. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, right, Miss Ochoa, the stuck writer. How often do we, how often do you come across a stuck writer in a given? Six weeks. No, several times. Mm-hmm. I had one just the just this week. Yeah, I mean it's um, that time of year where things start getting stuck, right? Yeah, they've 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 written quite a bit, and they're starting to run out of ideas, or at least they think they are. Uh-huh. Um, but we've been pushing them. We've we've just finished doing a poetry unit, and so I had a a one of my student writers. She she uh, wanted to write about band. And she couldn't get, she couldn't figure out how to do it. And so she came to me and it took us more than a day to figure it out because she, she came to me, you know, in my little conference chair, Ms. Ochoa, can you help me with um, my poem? And I said, sure. Uh, what is it that you need me to help with? Well, it was just a blank. 
I mean, she had the writer her her draft book, and both sides of it was completely blank. And she just had one word, well, banned. So it wasn't completely blank, but it had banned on there. That's all. And I'm like, oh, so what? I mean, what? So are we having trouble getting started? And she said, I have no idea. I've started this paper, and I don't know where to start. And I love banned, and I don't know where to start, but I want to write about it. I said, well, you've already told me a few things. You tell me you loved band. So why don't we list why you love band? And so, and then go, you know, go do that. Because of COVID, our uh, principal, you know, maybe it's with everybody, but he doesn't want us too close to the students for a very long period of time. So I'm now having to monitor not just my workshop conference just because of the, I want to get to all the kids, but because I'm not allowed to be around them that for very long. So I sent her back to do some work. I said, come see me when you when you feel like you've done your list. So that was the first thing we did. So uh, I think she took a, she didn't come to me until the next day. So the next day she comes back to me and she said, can you still help me? These are the things I've gotten. So then I would, you know, so ask her a few more questions about it. And she just kind of stared at the page. I could tell I wasn't getting anywhere. And, uh, but then, um, I didn't feel like I was getting anywhere, but I think she just had to mull it over. You know what I mean? So we, so I said, you know what, why don't we look up some other poems that people have written about music and band? So we looked it up. I said, why don't you just, let's look at some of these. So we read a few of them and then all of a sudden she goes, I know what I'm going to do. And she goes and sits down and uh, anyway, and I mean, what she knew, and it took about two days, really. I mean, she worked on this for a few days. She worked on some other stuff and then she came back to it, but she kept coming back to it. And, uh, and so then she came back and she said, here it is. And then she had, uh, she had about uh, five stanzas and it was all about the concert and what it was like before the concert, during the concert and after the concert. And she had a little onomatopoeia in there, but I I think she did a pretty good job. I mean, you know, for, so I thought that was cool. So at least she felt better. If we didn't do anything, she felt better. Well, and this, she had something. I I think this, what you're talking about is it. So we have uh, one of my teachers on my campus. She's been, she's far more, I've talked about her on the podcast before. She's far more comfortable on the reading side and she's trying to get better on the the writing side. What's funny is cause she, she does, she doesn't give herself enough credit. Her writing side is great. She's just a perfectionist and she knows that the, she doesn't lean towards that. So she's trying to focus on it, but she was having this conversation of, you know, she was, she's felt like her writing workshop was a little bit tight, meaning that she was kind of controlling a little too much of it. Um, mm-hmm. And she was wanting to kind of start, taking a step back, so to speak, to empower their choices and empower kind of where they're going and everything. So she has been in this process and this week she kind of took a step back and let them kind of write. And she said it started off really good. And then by like Thursday, maybe Wednesday, she came to me and she goes, okay, now they're stuck. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like the, the general, you you give them freedom and they they run with it and then once they're done with their their first and foremost ideas at all it just kind of starts dwindling and it's it's really challenging to even offer advice in certain situations like that because i feel like a lot of it is so individualized to the students because what one student needs to get going is not always what what is not always what the next one needs so you end up with a bunch of kind of truisms like, Oh, just show them great stuff. Oh, just do this. Oh, just do this. But it's, Mm -hmm. it's, I find that like, sometimes like in my room, when I'm looking at kids who aren't writing, it's like, okay, I'm just going to try to get them. uh, I'm just trying to get to each of them individually. Hopefully my mini lesson inspires something, but I don't know. Like when, it comes to like a full class of what you feel like are kids that aren't writing. Like what are your, 
What are your go-tos? And, and my natural instinct is like, oh, it all comes down to the, the structure and how you're managing just the workshop in general. And that'll lead, that'll solve a lot of problems. But just, I feel like that's not helpful to people. If I said, oh, just have better structure for your workshop. So my, my, my relevant Abydos trainer who happens to be on this same Zoom call, when, oh, if, okay. if people, when people come to you and they're just like, cause that, that I mean, that's a, huge problem. Like a teacher who's wanting their kids to write and says, okay. And then they take that step to let them write. And then two days later, no one has ideas. And they're like, well, crap. <laughs> like, Yeah. So you're asking me what I would, my advice. So, yeah. What's your advice with this? Let's start with that and then see where it takes us. Well, I think you have to go with topic finding ideas. And I think you have to blend those throughout the year. What we have a tendency to do, and I, I used to do this. That's why I know we have a tendency to do it. But I would just do my little topic finding at the beginning. And then I would expect them to remember to go back to that, but they don't remember. And what I mean by topic finding, Nancy Atwell had, um, she did a thing called um, heart map and, uh, um, you know, map, mapping the heart. Um, Paula Brock had a thing called quick list, which I do a lot with her stuff with, with the quick list. Uh, and so I just do a lot of listing to be honest, but, uh, then we do uh, reading, writing connection. Sometimes the students don't feel like what they are thinking is, is writing worthy. And so you have to convince them that it's okay. And I think that's where listing is really, a, I do a lot of listing. And the reason I do that is I think it's non-threatening. Anybody can create a list. And it can be a list of anything. It can be a list of stuff around the room. It can be a list of anything. Um, you know, a list of uh, people, people names. It could be a list of animals. It could be a list of pets that you've had. It could be a list of just anything. And so whatever's on your mind that day, that could be like a, a nice little warm up. but you do it periodically. You, know, you don't have to do it every day, but I would say I would do it at least once, um, once a grading period, at least a minimum. And then, so when they're stuck, I say, okay, well, let's go look at your, uh, your list of ideas that you've had. Let's go look at all of your ideas. And read through that today and tell me if there's anything in there that's popping out at you. Something yelling at you. And maybe if something's yelling at you, you could write about that, you know. But maybe something else might pop. Maybe a, a memory about that might pop up in your head. So that's one of the first things I would tell somebody to do. So I I like a lot of that, and I think that's good. And we, I mean, when you go into... Like your mini lesson, because this is how I kind of set stuff up. So when I say, you know, go off and do your, go off, like set up your, your structure in a way that kind of allows for this natural creativity, so to speak, or just writing momentum. A lot of the times I start my week with writing focus because I know mm -hmm. if I have the writing side going, the rest kind of works itself out in my opinion, because they, if they're stuck in their writing, uh, they're stuck in creation. They're stuck in kind of moving forward because books kind of move themselves forward automatically. Like, you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. you got to turn the page and they, <laughs> the mm -hmm. narrative drags kids along in writing workshop in a way that writing, you can't lean in writing like that necessarily, unless they're writing something that's long. Um, which most middle school kids aren't, um, th that you don't have that same crutch. So writing becomes almost, you have to, it's, I, I, to me, the way I think about it is, is a balance between overloading them with great ideas and giving them just enough to run with. Um, right. And I try, that's really hard to do. I, I tend to think in themes. So like this last week, I don't know how I discovered it. I came across an article called The Smell Museum. If you Google it, you can find it. And it's this, I think it was the New York Times or something like that, where this person created a museum of smells from where like they lived. And it, it was a really basic article 
Um, but it was a cool concept because what they did is they actually solicited smell memories from people. So it had all mm-hmm. of these like little couple sentence quotes from just readers of the New York Times where they were like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll always remember, you know, the way my grandma's house smelled. You know, it smelled like... Like, you know, and whatever they, they list their stuff and everyone who has a sense of smell has the, you know, there's smells that just hit you and it transports you into that time or next to somebody in your head. And it's like, uh, the article was really cool because it talked about like how smell is such a unique sense because for a moment, something that is outside of you kind of becomes a part of you and it leads it, it leaves such a massive imprint in your brain. So mm-hmm. um, doing that, we read that article. We read some examples. We ended up uh, reading a poem about smell. And so what I did <clears throat> is uh, that first piece where we we generated ideas about the the smells that remind us of stuff, right? The, the things that are so unique to us. So that was our generating ideas on Monday. Tuesday, we looked at using those ideas in practice. So poetry. So day one, some kids start on that. Day two, I grab a little bit more. Day three, I look at it from another angle. Um, and then by then, I really don't have to focus on the writing so much because kids have either jumped on the bandwagon that I've created mm-hmm. with this thematic unit or they're just writing something else because they like to line, they're inspired by something else. So usually by then, uh, I've got kids rolling and then I have to consciously kind of take a step back from overloading with writing ideas because at that point, I'm just taking kids who are writing and I'm distracting them with other writing things. And that's, and that's always interesting. Is there, uh, in Abydos, is there a caution to that whole idea of overloading writers or is that addressed in different ways? Well, I think, um, I think there is a point in time where you just need to let them write. You need to let them draft. But when it comes to, strategies I, I do think there are strategies that you can use uh, but but I think now that we need to talk about this because my stuck was different than your stuck and what I'm saying by that is my stuck was she really didn't have an idea to begin with so we go back so when the kids don't even have a place to start that's where that listing comes in right, right. but then they get stuck in the middle of the writing which is what you're talking about the page you know what's driving the page uh, the other thing I was thinking about with their own experiences, your smell idea, um, God, that's that's a really great one. It's funny because when I was going to school just, I think it was two days ago, uh, they were talking about smells and they had somebody call mm. in about their most uh, favorite memory that's okay. uh, because of smell. And then, I, then so it made me think of when I opened my, I, I inherited my grandmother's uh, and grandfather, you know, I, mar- I inherited their hutch you know, and dining room set. And there's, there's uh, two drawers that when you open it up, I've not put anything in those drawers because when you open it up, it smells like them. So I can kind of every once in a while remember them that way. So, um, so I think that's a good idea, but I think, I think we have those memories. So touching into those kids, connecting them to things that are writing worthy in their own lives, but they don't, they really sometimes don't either, they don't feel like what they have to say is worthy enough or they're not sure, you know, where to take it. And I think with you offering all the different um, types, you know, like you, that theme, and then you hit it. And, and you know, I've talked about this, which I thought was ingenious, how you t- take that one topic and you hit it from all different angles and different genres to give the kids a full experience Uh I think is a neat idea. So what you're doing is you're giving them lots of ways they can come at that topic. Right. Now, another another thing that we do is, you know, reading. Like the other day, I read, we did a poem. It was a poem that we had to do, but it was Nikki Giovanni's poem, uh, The Librarian. We went ahead and read it because that was in our curriculum. Um, Mrs. Long, The Librarian. So we went ahead and read it. But then there was a line in there that, 
made me think of a picture book that I had. So then I read a picture book, had a similar topic. Then I read something else that had a similar topic. And then uh, and then they had to write about somebody that made a difference in their life. So they that's something that they did. So I think giving them, maybe not giving them a prompt per se, but giving them an idea out there that they can grab hold of that everybody can relate to is helpful. I, well, I don't know if there's a warning against overloading them with ideas, but I do think that um, we highly recommend that they keep those ideas in a, in a spot so they can right. return back to them. Well, and see, there's, there's that piece too. I have, you know, I, I think the overloading, I think I relate to that because I'm a ADD writer. Um, I'm an ADD creator in all honesty. I'm, I'm very much, that's just how I work. And I'm sure you've realized this after working with me professionally and teaching and working with me in, in a creative I had endeavor <laughs> where I, you know, I have a bunch of ideas and I kind of tackle stuff, but what happens is I, my process and I've kind of embraced this is I, ha- I have a bunch of ideas and I'll kind of dabble here and I'll dabble there. And then when I feel something click, I go all in and then make it mm-hmm. happen. Like that's kind of, that's how I've written pretty much everything I've ever written. Um, it's how both podcasts have been created. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's how a lot of that is like the other day, for instance, just to give a really authentic example of this is I've been wanting to write another spoken word slam poetry type thing. We, we talked about it last week, kind of off air, just kind of an idea. I didn't use that idea, but it did help what I wanted to do. Basically, I had this student who she's been going through like a lot. Her grandpa just died of COVID and um, stuff before that was going on. So she's been but she's been using her writing kind of as an outlet and none of her pieces have finished because she's just she just gets so mad like halfway through a piece. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I just can't finish this. And so we've actually made a piece out of unfinished pieces that she was writing. But it gave me this idea to, I was like, I'm going to write, like, what would I tell her? Like, if I could just kind of tell her like the value. And I wanted to write about like what you're doing right now, like this pain, like this suffering, this anger that you feel like it's normal and it's really never going to go away. It's, it's, you're going to find ways to use it in more positive ways if you keep working towards that. And it was kind of about the power of writing and stuff like that. And this idea came to me and I wrote it, put the music together and recorded it within eight hours of a day. And now it's live over there on the Facebook page. But Mm -hmm. I, I loved it. It was because it was like, it was just a passion thing where it just all clicked. Everything I wanted to do kind of just worked. And I had other stuff to do. I had lesson plans to do. I remember I was putting off like doing my lesson plans. And then I was like, you know what? I can, I need to go back and fix this because doing like recording spoken word is very challenging because it has to, it has to come off a certain way. Plus all the technical details of just making something sound good. There's a lot of effort that goes into just making good audio. Um, which luckily I've learned over the years. No, I'm nowhere near perfect, but I've learned how to do that stuff. Anyway, my whole point of this was my, I'm easily distracted by really good ideas. So I I think I'm extra sensitive to that in the writing workshop because I have a lot of kids who are at this point, they've developed into very competent writers in, in a variety of ways. And I know I can derail progress by doing too much. And mm-hmm. I, and and when we're thinking of unsticking kids, it's I feel like half the battle is teaching them that all writing is is you, the the words are already in your brain. Like I think we forget that. Like writing is not a mystical process. These words don't come from like the ether of creativity or whatever. It's they're already there. What good writers do or even competent writers or we're just able to select the ideas that are most appropriate for what we are trying to accomplish, right? And mm-hmm. getting kids to trust that process and then us trusting that process for them, uh, I think is is like door or a key number one to getting kids to just actually write is to teach them that, hey, like when you're stuck, like the ideas are there. You already know what you want to write about is a matter of finding what you want to write about and sticking to those or 
picking them, picking the right things for what you're wanting to do. You know what I mean? But how, how much knowledge do you have to have to be able to do that? You have to have knowledge of genre, right? If you're going to write a poem, what you might select as your good idea is going to be different than if you're going to write an informational piece or different if you're going to write fiction. So kids have to have that background knowledge. They have to have all of this. And I feel like this can be really overwhelming for a teacher who's new to teaching writing. Like, oh my God, I have to, I'm going to have to spend five weeks just giving them background knowledge on all of this stuff before they get there. But I don't think that's really true. And I think your listing helps us with that, right? This idea of sometimes writing just brings about more writing, right? Like that's essentially Mm -hmm. what you're trying to do with listing, right? Well, yeah. And then when you're using like Paula Brock in her, in her book nudges, uh, she, she does one of her quick list activity is you list people in your life or anybody. And then this, you do three columns. The second column is you list details about that person. And then the last column is you list anecdotes. So you just kind of put little notes about a story about them. So by the time you've done all of that, so I have the kids list the people first, then they look over their list, and then they write details about the people. And then if a memory about them sparks up, then they write their little story. So that's how we got to the impact. How did that person impact you? So I think doing that is helpful. I wanted to point point out something that you're doing and that I think is helpful. You write, okay? You are a teacher who writes. You are a teacher who knows what it's like to be stuck. And so mm-hmm. what you do with your students is you share your experiences with them and they trust you because they know you've been there. So one of the things I did is I went through, this is just this, I wanted them to write. So I gave them that, the long uh, Mrs. Long's poem from Nikki Giovanni and, and the library made a difference in her life. And we talked about the sacrifices. So that was my reading part. <clears throat> my, excuse me. My reading part of, um, you know, for, for the grade or whatever, because we, we talked about that. That was my mini lesson. But then what I ended up doing is I wanted them to write about somebody who has impacted their life in a positive way. Okay, and that's really what I was after, is I wanted them to be thinking about people in their lives, because this is a tough time. Right. It's a really tough time right now for some of these kids. So I thought maybe this would be a good idea to kind of get them. So I took it from, this was Giovanni's, somebody that made a difference in her life, who made a difference in your life. So what I did is I shared with them who made a difference in my life, which just happened to be my seventh grade reading teacher. Miss MacArthur. So I listed some people, okay, and I listed Miss MacArthur. I listed uh, my husband. I listed my mom. You know, I listed some people that they might list too, my friend. And then I told them why I can't. And then I I did the actual activity on the board with them. Then I turned around and I said, and I said, okay, now y'all start listing. Well, while they were listing, I actually on the board wrote what I was thinking about how Miss MacArthur made a difference in my life. And I just wrote it in prose form. Then I let them help me turn it into a poem. So that's kind of what I did. But the, the, the fact is I wrote in front of the kids. It wasn't a whole lot, but I still wrote in front of them. Right. And then we modeled like, oh, I'm not sure what to say here. What do y'all think I should say here? Because they, they kind of did their own thinking, and then they looked up and saw that I was writing. And uh, then I went back and, and spoke with them about it. So they know that I write, and I think that that's very helpful. And so when I talk to them about what, what do I do when I get stuck, that's helpful. Well, and I think there's so much value in doing stuff like that. And like you said, I do, I do share a lot, you know, when I was writing teach me teacher, for instance, like I brought in, you know, with my little scrappy seventh grade group I had that year, I brought in my edits, right. And I showed them, I was like, look at how many times I changed this starting paragraph and how many changes I made and how many changes the editors helped me make just by reading it. And, and by sharing that it, it, you know, I think Don Graves and Don Murray were kind of like, their whole goal was just demystifying uh, writing, 
because it's not, it's really not a mystical process. You know, there's some naturals at it. Like there's the great writers and there's people who are just extremely good at what they do. Um, but that luckily that's, that's like 1% of the 1%. The majority of people including published writers are just people that do it a lot and, and get better and polish and have Mm -hmm. a passion for what they're trying to say. And there's giving that to kids is, is a gift, but it's also something that anyone can do because you don't have to be an amazing writer. You, you just have to be a writer with more experiences. And luckily just by living and going through school, you have more (laughs) writing experiences than them. That's right. That's right. And, well, when you so, for instance, I have somehow I've managed to create a mystique around the writing workshop at my campus, right? So I have kids okay. who, well, because they talk about how much they write, and even kids who kind of come in, like that's that's the highlight. the The majority of my students love that writing workshop time more than anything. I've done a good job at doing that, but I also I sell it to my kids. I'm like, guys, this is. You know, this is why we're unique. We get to, we do this and you guys create amazing pieces. And I only, uh, remind me to tell you something, uh, on the show, but I don't want to say it right now cause it's going to derail us. And I think it'll be a nice closing point. Just, I'm going to add, <laughs> if I don't remember, remind me that I had something to say. <laughs> it's about okay. showing kids positive work. That's what it is. Okay. But I, I put their work on the wall and, uh, and we praise what they do. And so there's this student, there's actually about three students who are wanting to get into my class right now. And they actively come to me and tell me that there's one who is making the grades to come. We got to remember, I teach honors kids. I'm trying to build a really great honors program on my campus. So there is a slight that that is kind of where I'm working with right now. But there's this one girl who really wants to be in the class. And I said, oh, well, here, do me a favor. I was like, write something and bring it to me and let's talk about it. And I already know, I already know she's probably going to get moved. She makes hundreds on everything. Like this is a, this is a kid who will definitely benefit from being in an accelerated honors classroom. Um, but you know, why not like play it up and her teacher who is very aware started sending her to my writing workshop. So the first time I let her in, right? So she comes in and I go, yeah, sure. Come in. I'll, I'll get you with a group. So she comes in, she sees it. She sees all my lights everywhere in my library. I have my, my lights on this. She goes, wow, this is your class. <laughs> like that was literally what she said. Um, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then luckily I was like, do you know anyone in here? And she's like, oh yeah, I know them. And I was like, sweet. So I sent her over there with like this huge group, uh, that was already kind of working together and bouncing ideas off of each other. So she joins them and she's sitting there and she, you can tell that she feels like she's being indoctrinated into like this secret society. <laughs> kid writers, but this, this whole, like building this up, it's, it's, uh, it's not just something that happened on accident. Like me being passionate about student writing and constantly getting them to do that and praising what they do. And I share their stuff on social media. I never put their names on there, but you know, I, I tell them this though. Like, I'm like, Hey man, I shared your thing and 400 people shared it after me. Like you're a, you're a real writer for all intents and purposes. And I'm like, you guys inspired me to do this. And I shared that. And it, it creates this culture of, we are all writers here. And Mm -hmm. I think that like the, when you reach, that point, it doesn't have to be what I'm talking about because this is something, you know, year seven, but it's also, I looped up with my kids. There's, there's all kinds of things working for me in this particular instance, but go back a few years, I was still able to kind of do some of this. And it was because of just being passionate and getting kids to trust that they can share their thoughts, that they can be honest in their writing and that there's not a gotcha. It's not a, okay, you wrote for fun, but now we're going to do serious writing. Here you go. And then we're going to buckle up and do uh, school writing. It's like, no, you can't betray the writing workshop once you have told them what it is. Once kids get a taste, if you betray it, I think it takes a lot of time to get that back. Would you say that? Mm-hmm. Like, that's how I'm thinking about it. Like, do you think, do you second that? Oh yeah, I think so. You can't go back once you once you get there. But you reminded me of a story about that little girl. There was uh, when I first started. Uh, one of the things I did, and I think I did this with you guys, is I went and got feathers, and I had all the kids tape a feather onto their 
onto their pen, like the old quill pens. And I said, you know, these are magical. And anybody, <laughs> whatever Such it takes. a good idea. If anybody has this feather, you know, they help you write. You can just write if you have a feather. Okay, now this is in high school, by the way. I'm not doing this in middle school. This was high school. And I literally had kids from other teachers come to me and go, do you have any more of those feathers? <laughs> so I was giving them out to everybody. I want to be able to write too. And these were high school kids. This was a while back, but it was kind of fun. So I think anything, you know, given building the confidence makes a difference. Showing them how to get out of a stuck situation builds confidence for the next time they can. And I think you need to give them a variety of ways to get well, out of it. And and giving them freedom to be stuck too, right? Like there's yeah, there's power. And if a kid isn't writing and you sit with them and you go, okay, cool. That it happens all the time. And like the moment they're like, Oh, I don't have to be writing a hundred percent of the time. Like there's freedom in that. That's true. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I was walking around the other day and this uh one of my students, he was just sitting there staring and I said, Is everything all right? Are you okay? And he goes, Yeah, I'm just trying to think about what to write next. I said, Yeah. Well, I'll come back around and see if you've made some progress. I use progress, by the way. Got yeah. it from you. Anyway, I went around and he goes, I've got some progress going, Miss Ocho. I've <laughs> see, got two instantly that language. The language yes, works. It made a difference. It was so anyway, I said, All right, all right, no problem. But I didn't like chastising. I just said, okay, well, I'll be around see if you made some progress. I didn't say, what? You're not writing? You need to write. You know, oh, these kids won't write. You know, that's not that's not the angle to take. So you do. You have to work with them. I have another another memory just came up. And this, this was a boy that was traumatized. And um, he's doing okay now, just so that give the the ending is apparently he outgrew this situation and they say he's functioning really well. Uh, he's already graduated high school. So I had him as a seventh, a sixth grader. He was traumatized and they would actually have to pick him up out of the, and I had him first period and they have to pick him up out of the car and actually literally bring him to class. And, uh, and then he would just sit there and cry and it was really sad. And, he was just staring, and that's when I and and I said, "Are you okay?" And he goes, "You know, he just shook his head, and tears were falling on that blank, blank page." And I said, "There's nothing meaner than a blank page. Why don't you write about that?" Anyway, and so he comes back. I came back, and he that's what he wrote. He wrote, he wrote, "This blank page keeps staring back at me, and I hate it." So he wrote all about the blank page, and it was beautiful. I don't have it. That was like, God, that was probably about 14 years ago. But anyway, but he would cry if you asked him to do something. And so instead of chastising more, I just said, that blank page is mean, isn't it? Why don't you write about that? Just tell it how mean it is. And uh, anyway, he did. Now, he didn't write much more, but by golly, I got something out of him that year. And it was it was pretty neat. It was neat that he wasn't cured. But as far as like that, I mean, he was still traumatized. It wasn't, I don't think it was my class. I think he was just, some, some other stuff had happened. And so he just was afraid of people and just being around people. Well, I want to give <clears throat> a strategy that this is probably going to make it into our craft and draft book. Because I, I mm-hmm. it's a strategy that I stumbled upon just by the way I think about writing and I, I've never heard it repeated. So it might exist somewhere. There might even be a name for something like this, but I've really never seen it anywhere. And it's this. So when I sit with a student, particularly ones who are stuck, they go, I don't know what to write about. And I go, cool. All right. And I just ask them, I go, so what's going on? What's your, what's happening? What do you mean? Like what's happening in your life? And then uh, hopefully I know something about them because I can ask a more direct question like, Mm -hmm. oh, how was the basketball game yesterday or how was practice or how was math? I know you really were struggling in math and you failed the test yesterday, right? Anything like that. And I can kind of start asking them questions and probing for good ideas because I feel like half of our job as writing teachers – is this idea of it, it, helping students 
figure out how to pick ideas from their mind. Because like I said, kind of at the top is right. The writing, all the words are there. It's just a matter of picking the right words to, to put. Right. Um, and I feel like the way I do that is I'll start talking to them. And once say they'll, they'll might get to, Oh yeah. You know, I, I don't really want to go home today because my mom's going to yell at me because I failed my test. Boom. That's a great topic. So mm-hmm. I'll just on my own kind of on my iPad or notebook, whatever I'm using, I'll jot down a line. Like I'm afraid. Right. So I'll just write that down and then I'll ask them some more questions. They'll be like, my mom's going to be mad at me. And I'm like, Oh, that's cool. So I'll write that down too. So I'll do that for a little bit. Just kind of talk to them and jot down wow. sections of what they say. And then towards the, I don't know, maybe after a minute or two, depending on how long I'm talking to them, I might show them and go, Hey, look at this. I was like, these are, this is what you've been saying, but look, just by putting it in, I'll put line breaks. For instance, that's a really easy way to do this is Mm -hmm. I'm like, just doing this. I was like, it kind of sounds like you're already writing poetry. I was like, these are your words. None of this is me. The only thing I did was put line breaks in it, but this is you. And they go, oh, I was like, why don't you, I was like, look at this. I was like, is this kind of cool? And they're like, oh yeah. Like they usually like it because it's like whatever they, it's like them dictating something and then it, it becomes right. something that looks like a piece. And I'm like, why don't you, sometimes if, if I haven't written a lot, I'll just have them jot it down. I'm like, hey, if you like this, why don't you jot it down and they'll jot it down. That'll be where they start. Or I'll let them take a picture of it um, to kind of have. I'm like, why don't you work with that? I was like, you don't have to use this, but this is what you're already saying. I was like, I think this is a great idea. I think you should run with it. And nine times out of 10, they'll take that and they'll make a piece from it. Um, Or at least it'll be be a beginning of a piece to something or maybe a section of a piece. And that strategy works for me. All the time. I do it all the time. I do it for really great writers too. They might have just like be stuck on something and I might ask them stuff and I'll be like, okay, so these are like the key words that I'm hearing from you. Which one of these do you think is a, is, is the best thing to go on? And Uh what I'm doing in that process, I feel like is I'm really guiding their thinking in selecting what they're already saying in their head, but picking out how to put it there. And I, I don't know, I've never seen it before. I've really never heard anyone talk about it, but it has been a really effective strategy for me in conferences, specifically for kids who, uh, quote unquote, say they are stuck and don't have any ideas. Um, I don't know. Have you ever heard that before? Um, no, I don't think I've heard it. Um, I think I might kind of do something similar, but not, not really. I, but yeah, I think that's great. I've never written it down while they're talking, so I think that's good. A little dictation. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. essentially what I, I'm kind of yeah. doing. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, I like it. It's, yeah. I mean, it's, I, I, it's something that I find really powerful. So if anyone listening tries that, let me know how it goes. <laughs> All right, we'll do. I'll do that. Yeah. Listening, I'll let you know. Um, yeah, well, but while you were talking, I had a thought that, um, you know, like we talked about how they're stuck at the beginning, stuck in the middle, but like, let's say they're writing a story and they're stuck, you know, this is just a thought that just happened. And, uh, but what if they circled um, the characters, right? You know, as they're writing, they circle the characters and they take each character and then they begin to ex- describe that character. Mm-hmm. on the side. So that, that could be a strategy. You could just say, describe your characters a little bit more. For sure. Tell us more about them. And then they put that back into their writing somewhere. That might be something that could be helpful. Yeah. You know, when they're stuck, they're not quite sure what to do. And then maybe, like you said, the story sometimes writes itself. Yeah. So that could be something they could do. I don't know. I mean, that's what I do is I just sit there and I'm thinking, okay, how can I help this kid? I mean, sometimes it's just tailored based on what that, that student needs. Well, and would you say it comes down to just your knowledge as someone who understands the writing process after so long? Like that's why you're so comfortable doing this. Like what Uh I, I feel like this, the issue of helping writers is becomes exponentially more difficult. The less you know, either academically or experientially. Right. So if you, if you know about writing and kind of how writing progresses, um, through just like the, the, the science of writing development. I think that's a great start. 
Um, not necessary, uh, but that's really good. It's also good if you write yourself and have that experience. Um, I think the ideal situation is a marrying of the two, but if you, I feel like if you don't have either and you're trying to do this, I, I just feel it's a really hard thing to do. Like you just, so like maybe if someone is super stuck and they really don't know what to do, maybe like the answer is you need to read some Nancy Atwell, some Kelly Gallagher, some, you know, you need to go buy the Axe book from Avidos and just really dive into just the, the, the language and knowledge of writing. Yeah, essay shaping is probably the chapter that would help the most with that. I uh in in the acts of teaching, one of the things that came to my mind while while you're talking too is I think sometimes we accidentally get students stuck. Okay, we mean well, but we we stick mm. them, so to speak. We get them stuck. And we do that sometimes by formula. Yep. We say, okay, think about the poem that you want to write. You need to make sure you have the form first. So you need to either do a haiku or a sonnet. So all of a sudden, you're now, you've now stuck them, even though your curriculum says they need to write a sonnet. Okay, but what happens to them is that they get so bogged down by the form that they can't think of the words. That's such a good point. So I think sometimes if we can just get them to write whatever they're thinking, you know, if we, we get them to write, like we give them that background. Um, I like to read picture books, you know that. And so I'll read a picture book to kind of um, give them some background knowledge in a fast way. Uh, poetry is another way to do that. Uh, little vignettes. Um, I like to do songs just the other day. Well, when I, I'm, I'm still going to go back to that long uh, Mrs. Long, the librarian is long. Um, because there's some things in that poem that if you just read it just like it is, there's some things the kids don't understand. They don't know what a stereoscope is. And that was in that poem. Uh, they don't know what uh, who Ella Fitzgerald. I mean, they don't know Sarah Vaughn. They don't know the music. So one of the things I did just before we read was I provided some things like a, a quick um, YouTube video of Sarah Vaughn singing Black Coffee, which was in the poem. A quick picture of what is a stereoscope, which is a Viewmaster slide thing that I used to play with, by the way. Um, so those kinds of things. But, but those are things that are in the poem. So sometimes they don't have those experiences. So as a teacher, if we're going to have them read, we need to go back and say, okay, what's going to hang this child up for reading? Okay, in our mini lesson, and go ahead and build that background. Just do it quickly. It doesn't have to be this big whole thing. And then ask them, okay, what are some things in your background that somebody might not know about that you can include? And that's a good way that we can get other cultures and things like that. But but you kind of show them this is what this author did. Now, can you do what this author did? So right. those are some things. So imitation. Again, we talked about that last week. Yeah. But that imitation is very helpful of getting them unstuck. They can't think of something like that girl in the band. I just I showed her some things, and all of a sudden she knew right what angle. But it was somebody else writing about it. Mm. Uh, that boy that wrote about death during his Thanksgiving, I thought was going to be something you're thankful for. Well, he it was something thankful for because he goes, but Miss Ochoa, I don't want to get that out of there. It's a message. I went, okay, I'm missing your message. What is it? And he goes, we should love every day. Because we don't know what's going to happen. We have to love every day. And I said, well, let's see if we can get that message really in there. So let's look and see what other writers have done. And then he goes, okay, I know what I'm going to do now. So mm -hmm. I think sometimes by, I might not have the answer, but another writer might have the answer. So I do that sometimes. You know, this is a totally random thing, and it might never happen. Mm -hmm. You know what we should do? For our district, we should get a collection of student writing that people can use to teach from. Wouldn't that be cool? That would be cool. Let's do it. Like just like a Google. Well, maybe that maybe that's what we need to do. That'd be cool because there's so many like I, I think it would be really interesting to have stuff like that and maybe even have kids like write about what, why they wrote it or what was going through their head. And mm -hmm. uh, that'd be interesting because I've always I love using student writing. The, the same way I use my own writing, you know, my kids always, you know, they always, 
They're like, oh my God, all right, Chastain's piece is coming. But you know, I always, <laughs> but mm-hmm. the, but it's fun. It's, 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 you know, it's a little bit more personal. It takes it out of this whole, like, oh, we're just using all of these writers. You know, Don Graves said the moment you put kids writing in a lesson, you just taught them that they're real they're writers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. So I have, I have one more point I want to make at cause I didn't forget it. And I really do. I think this is going to hone in on. I think this will put a nice cap on what we're talking about. So I had a student who was talking about a class that they have. And they said, this teacher always says, this teacher always says how much they, they believe in us and how, how great we can be. But the only thing she talks about is how bad we've done. The only information we look at is is what we mm. failed at. Like that was a student saying that, and I went, "Wow!" Like it was just something that really they hit know. me. Well, of course they do, but it was it was just a moment of like clarity where I'm like, mm-hmm. "I that is something that is so clear." I mean, how that sounds like something out of a teacher book, doesn't it? Like <laughs> that it does. sounds that sounds straight out of. Teaching like a, a teaching inspiration book of saying, make sure to show kids positive things. Make sure to show them how how being they're successful. This is from a twelve year old student who was like, "Man, you're saying one thing, but you're only telling us what we do wrong." And I was like, "What a powerful lesson for all subjects, all teachers, all grade levels." Which is, mm-hmm. you know, if we want to speak positivity into our students, is one thing, but we got to show it. Like we have to. You know, you we all have bad writers. You know what I mean? Like we all have kids where you're like, oh my god, like this sentence barely even makes sense. Like everyone has those those students, but we have to find the nugget of greatness that is that is there because kids thrive off of that, and they're a hundred percent aware of when you're not putting that positivity out there. And I was just like, man, I that was that was such a moment. Like I don't think I'll ever forget that comment. Wow. Like it was it was transformative. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why I like to a lot of times start off with things like what works in a piece. So let's yes. look and let's see what works in your piece. Another thing is, what do you think is your strongest word that you use today? You know, those kinds of things. If you if you go that way, and then I also say in my classroom, nothing negative allowed. It's not allowed. Not even from yourself. Now, sometimes that's hard to stick to it because, you know, you've got 12 and 13-year-olds. But wow, what a what a lesson! What a lesson! Well, I need to remember that. Well, it's just, and I think that's something that uh, I th- I think that's why my wall of writing works because kids they they want to write to get up on that wall. Why I I lean away from grades? You know, I can't lean away completely because of the system we're in and all that stuff. But I, I don't weigh so much on the grades. There's so much self-evaluation. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of that stuff that I've worked in over the years, I'm like, man, I'm really – I'm benefiting a lot from not ever focusing on negativity. Like one of my – that student who came in and sat in my workshop, she was so concerned. All of a sudden she was concerned about her grammar. <laughs> she was sitting in this honors class and I told her, I was like, just ignore it. And I was like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. I want to talk about what you're trying to say. And I like the, the amount of pressure that came off of her shoulders and for teachers listening, like when I say ignore grammar, I'm not saying always ignore grammar. There's a time and a place, but it's, if we're, if we want to really focus on what we want to do, we want to unstick kids. If we want kids to write, if we want kids to enjoy writing, then for the love of God, like ignore a wrong place comma or no commas. Like there's, there are worse problems like meaning first form and, and rule second and in, in my opinion. And I think, I think we get so much more value and more buy-in from students when we do that, because if we, if we can get them, it's the same thing. I, I think I've repeated this quote a bajillion times is you don't help kids become, you don't fix non-writers writing. You take kids who have become writers and then you slowly teach them better craft, better form, better uh, grammar usage, better all, better everything. It's the same thing for a reader. You don't teach kids that hate reading how to read better because they're never going to practice enough to get better. Um, and that that's, I don't know, that was a big learning point. I, 
I, they weren't talking about me, but it was just like, man, that just, I, I have, that means every time I think about putting something negative out there, it's like, I don't know. I mean, is it worthy? I mean, think about how often we show data to students and we, and we constantly want to make everything a competition, but someone's got to lose a competition, right? Like maybe that's not the perspective we should always take. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that goes back to you. Are you making progress? Right. And, you know, another thing I stumbled upon, right? Yeah. But I mean, I used it and I came back around and he had at least two lines. Mm -hmm. Hey, we can work with two lines, but we can't work as that blank page. Yeah. But if I can just get the kids, that's what I tell them, just put it down. But if we start worrying about the form and everything, just get it down. And so like, as I, I showed them how to take that prose, turn it into a poem. But what I also did is I didn't make everybody do that. I have some students that automatically think poetically. That's just how, that's their go-to. So why do I want to take that away from them? Right. So I said, if you're somebody who automatically thinks poetically and the poem is already coming to your mind, and I had three of them raise their hands, that's me. And I said, then just go with it. This is for those who are stuck. You know, so we got to, we got to help them. Well, and to... Add just one more thing to that, which is, you know, I, I, I do a lot through poetry and I finally, you know, when I read Nancy, I was in the middle like that really, I always wanted to lean towards that, but her work and her passion for poetry really did solidify. Like you can teach pretty much everything through poetry and mm-hmm. it's great because you can, you can really, you can go as deep as you want in a poem and as shallow as you want in a poem because they're so short sure. and digestible usually. Um, and that's has made a lot of my kids write poetry. And I know I've talked about that before at trainings, uh, in the district on teach me teacher. I've talked about it and I've had people kind of question how much poetry my kids are writing because, you know, we have to hit the quote unquote other genres. And you know, what's interesting about that is we all know writer, like you can think of writers who write narrative stories, for instance, but their writing is far more poetic than other writers. Like Stephen King, for Mm -hmm. instance, is not a poetic writer. (laughs) He is, (laughs) he's, he's a writer. He's all, I mean, it's plot. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's cliffhanger. It's getting you to turn the page and he's very good at it. There's a reason he is as big and as rich as he is. Um, but then there's other writers, uh, the writer of the goldfinch, for instance, who she writes a book pretty much every decade, right? Like she takes mm-hmm. time to do in the goldfinch. Have you ever read the goldfinch, by the way? I have not. So it's one. It's astounding. Um, it won. I think it won the National Book Award or the Pulitzer Prize. One of the two. Um, it, it's it's incredible in every sense of the word. But so for instance, a Stephen King book might focus on a scene for like 10 pages just to get you to the next part. She focused on this. Every one of her scenes takes about 50 pages, um, to get through. And it mm-hmm. is, and, and that is what I consider. It's, it's a poetic form of writing. And I think that it, it doesn't really matter the form. Like if, if my kid, if one of my students is going to write, 700 poems this year are they worse off than if i force them into other genres where they would only write like so let's say they draft 200 pages of rough draft in a semester by free writing and writing what they want and writing in poetry but then if i limit what they want to write about and they only rough draft 20 pages which which one is better off the one that wrote 100 pages the one that wrote 20 i would argue the one that wrote more right right so it's by Donna Tart. Yes, Goldfinch. It's amazing. Well, it's a surprise. I, I should have. I should have read it. It's. I think you'll really enjoy it. It's. It's. It's a. It's astounding in every sense of the word. The stuff that she pulls off and how to pull a scene for so mm-hmm. long. Like I was like, this is this is a master. <laughs> She's so good. Um, in any case, ladies and gentlemen, this is craft and draft. We've probably given you several other books to buy at this point, including The Goldfinch, <laughs> if you haven't bought it. Um, we'll try to get links in there uh, for the actual thing, because I know people keep asking about that. You know what I want to do? I want to set up a Google Doc for people to start giving us okay. questions to start our podcast. We'll see if it happens. We'll Maybe we'll just leave it up, and if no one does it, we'll just ignore it. But if maybe we get one or two, use those to start our podcast from now on. Just the question from other people rather than us that starting. That would be great. 
I think yeah. that would be interesting. I don't know if we have enough listeners at this point, but we will find out very shortly and maybe we'll just leave it there and uh, maybe it'll happen or maybe it's not. But if you enjoyed this episode of Craft the Draft Legend, make sure you hit that subscribe button if you are a new listener. Thank you for listening. If you have been listening for a while and you haven't clicked that star button or written a review, do so. It really does help the podcast, helps the podcast find other people. You can follow us over there on the Facebook page at Craft and Draft. You can find us at craftandjeffworkshop.com. We're doing all kinds of good stuff. We release a podcast every single Friday, including the holidays, apparently, because we are still keeping strong. We are still keeping to our schedule, which is wonderful. But hopefully you enjoy this. Hopefully you are a workshop nerd like us, and hopefully just listening to good conversation between two authentic teachers is what you needed to get through your week. So thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us once again. And as always, know that we are here for you.